listening to Victory Alabang Podcast. We hope this message encourages and inspires you today. All right. Good morning, everyone. Hope you are all okay and uh, welcome to church. Uh, we had a fantastic time of just worshiping the Lord and lifting up His name. And how many of you know that when you lift up the name of Jesus, uh, it seems like uh, the problems will somehow fade away? Yes, at least temporarily. You know? uh, in, the, in the presence of God, there's fullness of joy. I would like to welcome everybody who's joining us today. I know that we had a full week uh, this week, a very eventful week for all of us. And we'd like to also welcome uh, those of you who are joining us online, and we do hope that you can actually uh, enjoy our time of uh, the Word uh, this morning. You know, um, this, uh, this week has been uh, maybe shared by all of us, you know, for, for, you know, not only for those who voted, but even for the young people, those who are not yet voters. How many of you have seen so much passion among our young people? Uh, you know, just... You know, one of the bright spots for me that happened this week, you know, regardless of who you voted for, is that our young people are woke. You know, they are actually so involved in the electoral process. And, you know, last Monday, as me and my wife are entering into the polling precinct in uh, Bacoor, Cavite, that's where we're uh, registered, my two daughters have been texting us, Dad, Mom, make sure that you vote the right candidates for our future, okay? And I said, don't worry about it, my daughters. Uh, we're praying about it. And, you know, we, we've made a decision to, to vote such and such. But, you know, allow me to just um, also highlight that during this time, aside from the emotions, there were relationships that were tested, you know, all across uh, in, in the nations, among family members, among friends. Hopefully, you're not one of those who were canceled. Pwede niyo na uling i-defriend or i-refriend from unfriend. Tapos na po election. But allow me to just read a pastoral letter that I have written for our congregation. This is really personal from me on behalf of the pastors of this church in Victoria, Alabang, and we've posted it on Facebook and IG yesterday. As I was mulling this whole week, I was asking the Lord, Lord, how do you want us to move forward as a church and as a congregation? And maybe some of you have read it. For those of you who have no S, uh, FB or social media account, uh, we understand. And this is an opportunity for you to also hear and listen to what I have written, okay? So um, allow me to just, and you can just read, read along uh, on, the, on the screen. To our Victory Alabang family, we understand that many of our church members, including our families, have been deeply affected and involved in this year's elections. It has been a very challenging time emotionally, spiritually, and relationally. As a community, we are not devoid of emotions. We feel the range of emotions around us. Celebration, joy, laughter, sorrow, doubt, pain, and even grief. As a family, I pray that we will continue to walk together, especially in this season, and hold on to what we all have in common. And how many of you know that there are more commonality than there are difference among us as a church? We have a common allegiance. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And that's us. We are Christ's pe Christ people. And because of this, we can celebrate and appreciate our differences knowing that our identity in Christ holds us together. You know, differences is inevitable. They're inevitable. They're going to happen, you know, in your family, in your community, among us. But division is a choice. And we will choose to be united together. Amen. Because of our common allegiance under Christ. We have a common blessing. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. We are blessed in every situation because of our unity with Christ. Our access to God's goodness, power, blessing is guaranteed on the cross once 
and for all. Praise God. How many of you know that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ? Come on now. And we need to receive that as a church. And as representatives of Christ, we bring in the blessing to this nation as well. We're called to a common purpose. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 to 21. Together we are His house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus Himself. We are carefully joined together in Him, becoming a temple, a holy temple for the Lord. We are rooted and established in love. Built together and called to a common purpose, we preach Christ and make Him known. And we have a common enemy. The person beside you is not your enemy. Look at the person beside you. We have a common enemy. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 to 13 says, We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil, then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Amen. The enemy comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. He wants to destroy the bond that we have as a spiritual family by causing offenses and unforgiveness. We must be wise to know that the enemy, these are the enemy's schemes. As Christians, we are armed with the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can stand together and advance together. Knowing all this, what can we do? Number one is to pray. How many of you know that the power of prayer is never to be underestimated? Pray for this nation. Declare God's purpose and destiny. Speak blessing to our beloved country. And pray for our government officials as well, both national and local. Pray for healing. Pray for healing and reconciliation in families and communities. And I want us all to hope. Hope. Speak hope and declare a great future for our nation and the next generation. Don't give up our hope in the Lord. There's always hope. Amen. Reach out. May every single one of us build bridges instead of walls. I pray that Christ's love compels us like never before. And lastly, represent Continue to be salt and light wherever God has placed us. Reflect God, Christ, and give Him glory. May everyone see the gospel at work in us. Finally, let's talk. We would love to meet and have conversations together. You may reach out to me or one of the pastors, staff, campus missionaries. Let's go through this faith journey together and allow us to process this, to pray with you, and we are here for you guys. Amen. We love you. We love you guys. Amen. You know, the good news also is that not only have we finished the elections, but two of our members in Victory Alabang are now the new incumbent mayors of both Montinlupa and San Pedro. Laguna. Amen. And so, these are, you know, Congressman Rafi Biasun, who is now first-time mayor of Montinlupa, has served about six terms in Congress, and he's been a long-time member of Victory. In fact, he is one of our early volunteers in Kids Church back in the Makati days, and now he is serving as the father of the city of Montinlupa. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. And I don't know if you voted for him or not, but he is one of us. Amen. He's a disciple, and I believe that he has only one agenda. And, you know, we, we can speak to him, we can guide him, and he wants to glorify God as well in the city of Montinlupa. Art Mercado has served as the vice mayor of uh, San Pedro for one term, and now he is the new uh, mayor-elect of the city of San Pedro. And uh, both of them... Uh, Mayor Rafi and Mayor Art will be here next week so that we can actually pray for them. They are actually taking a short break. Sabi nila sa akin, Pastor, okay lang ba kung hindi kayo maka-attend ng service ngayon? But, you know, taking a break with the family. And we understand after all the campaign, but next week we will be there in church 
to support whatever God is doing in our city. Say amen. Can we just give the Lord a hand for what he's doing? All right. If you have your Bibles with you, let's go and stand up and let's read from Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4, we are still going through the series on Beyond Kings and Kingdoms. And this is going to be an interesting topic today, okay? We're going to talk about a king, okay? A king na hinambol ni Lord. Okay? So, kailangan natin mapag-usapan to, okay? Daniel chapter 4, verses 1 to 18. Daniel chapter 4, verses 1 to 18. I'm reading from the... ESV version. King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace. Everybody say peace. Peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are His signs. How mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and His dominion endures from generation to generation. You know, it's interesting that these words are coming from the mouth of a pagan king. In verse 4, it says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. And I saw a dream that made me afraid as I lay in bed. The fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. And at last, Daniel came in before me he who was known, uh, who he was named Belteshazzar after the name of my God and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream saying, Oh, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dream that I saw in their interpretation. Verse 10, the visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong and its top reached to heaven. And it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant. And in it was food for all. And the beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. What a mighty tree. Verse 13, I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in the bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision, the decision of the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you... O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the Spirit of the Holy Gods is in you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the preaching of your word this morning. May this bring encouragement and a reminder to us that you are Lord And you are God, and we are not. Teach us humility. 
And may we put our trust in you every day of our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may all be seated. Just go ahead and smile at the person beside you with your eyes. Smile lang. So we're continuing in a series, and what's interesting is we're still in Babylon. The, the people of God are still in exile, and we still have the same king. How many of you are so familiar now with King Nebu? King Nebu is still here in the, you know, in the chapter, chapter 4. By chapter 5, we will have a different king. His son will take over the kingdom. But yet, you know, the background for those of you who are just joining us, the people of God were taken out of Israel and brought to Babylon for many years. And they were under the rulership of the king of Babylon. Eventually, it will become the Persian Empire. But King Nebuchadnezzar was the greatest king on the planet during that time. The richest. In fact, this was his second dream. Remember the first dream that he had in chapter 2? When he had a dream of a, a statue and there were different kinds of metals on the statue and there was like on, on the head was the gold part and that's him. And then later on in chapter 3, we review that you know, uh, he made a statue. <laughs> Maybe he took on the design of what he had dreamed about because he was kind of full of himself. But yet we know that in the book of Daniel, the theme is God is in control over the affairs of nations and in the lives of individual peoples. Amen. And wherever we are in the spectrum, whether you are a government official, whether you are an ordinary citizen, guess what? God knows what you and I are going through. And He is so involved not only in the nation building or transformation of a nation, but He's also involved in our individual lives. And last week we talked about Daniel chapter 3. Bishop Manny was here and he was preaching on, of course, uh, the story of Shadrach, Pishkin, and Abednego. And so the king built a statue that somehow represented himself and he commanded everybody to bow down and worship the statue, except for the Hebrew boys. They were not willing to worship, and the king got mad, and he said, throw them into the fire furnace. You know the story. The fire furnace was heated seven times more, and they were inside the fire furnace, but in the fire furnace, they were walking around. There were three of them, Shadrach, Mishra, and Abednego, and the king did not see just three. He saw four walking around the fire furnace. And there was a fourth man, and that was Christophany, that's Jesus himself walking with them. How many of you know that when you and I go through the fire, God is going to be with us, walking with us? Amen. Whatever it is that you're going through, you may be going through a fire right now. Guess what? God is there with us. Isaiah 40 talks about that. We may go through the fire, but we shall not be burned. They did not even smell like smoke. And after seeing this, you know... Um, Nebuchadnezzar finally said, wow, your God is God. He acknowledged that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, your God is God. He commanded everyone in the kingdom worship this God. He finally learned his lesson. But then fast forward again about 20 years after that. Here we see again King Nebuchadnezzar having a dream and a warning from the Lord. You know, the issue of this particular king is pride. Everybody say pride. You know, how many of us would admit that somehow we struggle with pride? I'm proud to be humble. Eh? I am not proud, you know. In fact, I don't want to go out there, you know. And sometimes we can be bashful about it or we have self or false humility. But pride is not about thinking 
about yourself like in the bottom, but it's thinking of yourself less and thinking more about God. And so King Nebuchadnezzar had several encounters with the Lord, but yet he was so steeped in arrogance and pride and his power and his wealth and his authority got into his head. What's interesting was, he was you know, when we were reading earlier, this verse 1 to 3 was a declaration of, you know, how he was glorifying the Lord. And in verse 1, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar to all the people's nation that dwell in the peace be multiplied to you. He was making a declaration. And he was saying, it has seemed good to me to show the signs and the wonders that the Most High has given or has done for me. How great are his signs. How mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And his dominion endures from generation to generation. You know, in the opening chapter of, uh, in opening verses of chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar was almost like giving a testimony of sorts. You know, it seems like the king was narrating this chapter as if the story had already happened. He was doing a backtrack and now he's praising the Lord. He probably finally learned his lesson. And so he was narrating his story, and the narrative of King Nebuchadnezzar was this. In verse 4, it says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. You know, he was enjoying his wealth. He was just, you know, taking it easy, resting on his achievements. You know, there was pride in his heart, which we will see in a bit. And then in verse 5, it says, I saw a dream that made me afraid as I lay in the bed the fancies, you know, I don't understand what the word fancies mean. Fancy, the way if you're looking, you know, if you're wearing something fancy, is that, is that what it means? The ESV translation, I don't know if it really uh, pictures or accurately depicts what this means. But in the Aramaic, what it means is images conceived in the mind. He had allowed images in his mind. To picture himself of who he is. Have you ever pictured himself? I mean, have you ever pictured yourself of someone that does not accurately, accurately, you know, depict you? You know, there are new filters right now on IG, right? Reality, expectation. <laughs> expectation, reality. Yeah, something like that. And sometimes we have these fancies or image in our mind, you know, that we need to also... Just be truthful in who we are. And so the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. And as I said, this time he had another dream. And he started calling the magicians and the astrologers. And in chapter 2, what he did was he told them, I'm going to call you, but I won't tell you the dream. You tell me the dream, you interpret it for me, or else I'll chop your head off. Can you imagine what, what an evil king? But this time, he was more gracious. He said, I'm going to tell you the dream, you interpret it for me. But the magicians, astrologers, could not even interpret it for the king. They don't know what its meaning is, or maybe they were afraid to say the interpretation to the king because of its bad interpretation, because it's bad meaning. So the vision of Nebuchadnezzar was the verse we've read earlier. He saw a big tree. There was a massive tree in height. You know, it's, you know, it reaches the heavens and its leaves were covering the entire earth. And it's, you know, basically providing shade for everyone, food for, for the beasts and the, you know, the birds will perch on it. And all the animals fed from it. It was a glorious tree. And then part of the dream was there was a watcher or an angel that came down from heaven and chopped off that tree. And stripped off its leaves. But left a stump. You know, a stump is actually a part of the tree that still has roots. And maybe in the future, pwede pa rin siyang... Lumago. Now it becomes clear that the tree is referring to a human being when the angel says, let him. Let him be wet from the dew and let him be like a beast. And so the angel was talking about a person here. 
And so I guess the magicians were kind of afraid. Si King Nebutua. If you actually dare say that you are that tree, <laughs> we might have be chopped off as well. <laughs> and so he went to Daniel. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, in verse 19, was dismayed for a while. And his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Binigyan na siya ng disclaimer. Sige na. Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you. And it's interpretation for your enemies. That's how bad it is. Maybe Daniel was a bit concerned to tell the king some bad news about his dreams, but he went on anyway and told him. There are three lessons from the story that we will quickly talk about. Number one is God exposes human pride. How many of you know that we may not think we're proud, but God knows the motive of our hearts? Human pride is actually trust, trusting oneself without acknowledging God in one's life. And finally, Daniel said in verse 22, It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to the heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. Wow, he was saying this bad news to the king. And this is the interpretation. O king, it is the decree of the Most High which has come upon the Lord my king that you shall be driven among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass. You know, some people are asking, did this really happen to the king of Babylon? You know, this is an actual account in history that he actually went through. A season of being crazy and thought and acted and behaved like a brute beast. And Daniel was talking about what's going to happen in the future. And he said, you shall be wet with the dew of heaven and the seven periods of time shall pass over you. Now the theologians are trying to interpret what seven periods of time mean. And you know, for the simple interpretation, it's about seven years. Seven years of going through this. Till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will. How many of you know that ultimately God is the one in charge of every nation on the face of the earth? Amen. And may this be a reminder for us that ultimately we serve a God who is the king above all kings. The Lord above all lords. He's the president above any president. And maybe some of us are thinking, okay, tama-tama to para sa incoming uh, administration. But as we point our finger to one or person, we're also actually pointing the finger, three fingers back to us. Have we been proud? Have we been arrogant in the way we behaved in the past? months have we looked down on people and said why are you doing that why are you voting for this candidate or why are you behaving that way as if we are right and everybody is wrong i mean talk about pride and arrogance this is not only about someone who is up there how many of you know that pride and arrogance can actually seep in in any in every one of us Slowly in our hearts. St. Augustine said it was pride that changed angels into devils. Look at the person beside you. And tell that person, you still look like an angel. Remember that. Lucifer was in the presence of God. It was pride that drove, drove him. To want to be like God. And did not acknowledge the presence of God and the work of God in his life. Eventually, he was thrusted out of heaven with a third of the angelic hosts. Another quote from a very popular author named Anonymous. Laging Anonymous, you know. Laging, 
I always see his name everywhere, you know. And he said this, pride will cost you everything and leave you with nothing. That's why we need to be careful with pride. It may cost us our friendships. It may cost us our family. It may cost us our career. It may cost us marriage. How many of you know that between husband and wife, we need to always remain humble? If you're seated beside your spouse, just give a quick nudge. And say, I am sorry for offending you kanina. Tagal mo sa banyo eh. And somehow, you know, little comments here and there. Rolling of the eyes. How many of you know that rolling of the eyes? You know, if your spouse says something, roll the eyes in front of the kids. Well, that's a sign of disrespect. And pride, because you're saying you're wrong and I am right. It's not worth losing our relationships just because we want to keep something for us and keep our ego intact. How many of you know what this means? Turtle on a pole. You know, this turtle is enjoying the view, right? I mean, how many of you would like to be a turtle on a pole? Wow, you know, I'm all, you know, look at my view. I'm on penthouse. You know, look at, look at the view of the bay. You know, I see all this green grass and the trees. Oh, wow. And beyond that is a mountain view, right? You know, I am, you know, seated on top of my office. You know, I'm here. But if you recognize closely, maybe we can ask ourselves, if you see that turtle on a pole, one of the realization is, or question is, how did, that uh, how did that turtle get up on the pole? Somebody put him there. And as you look at your life and what you have accomplished so far, you may be a manager, an owner of a company, or a supervisor right now. You may be a government official. You may be a mayor, you may be a congressman, a senator, or even the president of the Philippines. Be careful not to think that it was you who did it. Because of your intellect, maybe because of your hard work, maybe because of your wisdom or being street smart, or maybe it's because of your family background, your educational attainment, or your connection, realize that God has placed you there. Amen. Come on now. God has placed you there. Someone has put us on top of the pole. Thank you, Lord. Walang magbabibrate. Baka mahulog ang turtle. And if you acknowledge God, that He was the one who put you on a pole, you're safe. Always acknowledge God's work in your life and in our life, in our church, in our city, in our community, in our nation. Guess what? God's not done with us yet. Amen. We are all work in progress. There's hope. There's hope. And guess what? If you are not cooperating with God, God can just take you out from that pole and put another turtle on the pole. Daniel chapter 2 talks about this. He puts kings there, and He removes them. Every transition is a new season. And we are in a new season right now. And we're going to see what happens. In verse 27, it says, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may be Perhaps be lengthening of your prosperity. Daniel was courageous enough and bold enough to speak truth to power. He was mustering his courage and said, You gotta repent, king. <laughs> Can you imagine that? 
You need to repent. And how many of you know that God has called us as well, as believers and as a church? There will be times that we will speak truth to power. We need to remind our officials as well. You got to do this. Show mercy to the oppressed. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness. Call sin as sin. And Daniel was also saying the possibility of repentance. Perhaps. Everybody say perhaps. How many of you know that perhaps is a good word? Perhaps. Perhaps the Lord will have mercy. Perhaps the Lord will lengthen your prosperity. Perhaps the Lord will show you His grace and kindness. And what Daniel was saying is, if you repent ahead of this, these things will not happen to you. But of course, Nebuchadnezzar did not repent. God humbles human pride. And all this came in verse 28, 29, upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. It took about 12 months. Can you imagine? One year after the warning of Daniel, you know, maybe the king was saying, oh, this will never happen to me anymore. How many of you know that sometimes God's sentence will delay because he actually is not slow with his promises? As Second Peter has mentioned, chapter 3, he's not slow in keeping his promises, but he does not want anyone to come into perdition, but he wants everyone to come into repentance. He's probably giving time for the king to realize his pride and repent of his ways. But he did not, obviously. And so he was walking at the end of 12 months. He was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power? Can you imagine? What a statement of arrogance and pride from a king. As royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. He was declaring, by my mighty power, I am the source, I am the origin, I am the cause, I am the controller of everything that happens in my life. And how many of us have actually said those statements? I am here because of my hard work. I am here because I did it. I am here because, I did it. I run my life. I make my own decisions. I decide what to do with my life. I ultimately call the shots. By my own mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. In verse 31, while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebu. Okay. To you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And immediately, everybody say Immediately. The word was fulfilled. There was warning. He was given a time to repent. How many of you know that God has always been gracious to us? If he sees something that we need to change, let's go on and deal with it. Amen. If there's pride or arrogance, if there's unforgiveness in our hearts, let's go deal with it. Let's not allow it to fester. Let's not allow an offense to fester and destroy a relationship. You know what? Unforgiveness is like a cancer. It destroys marriages. It destroys families. You know, it is just so sad that, you know, I've been hearing reports that even among families, you know, in some congregations, they have actually broken out. You know, within the family. Deal with it. Acknowledge it before the Lord and say, God, may this not die happen, may happen to me. The sentence finally happened. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. How many of you know that pride comes before a fall? Let's deal with pride. Let's look at ourselves. You know, before you point a finger to someone, I want you to face the mirror first and ask that person in the mirror, have you been proud? Have you thought about yourself too much lately? Have you always thought that you are right and everybody is wrong? And everybody has the problem and you're not, the, you're not the problem. Maybe we should notice that if we move from one place to the next, and it's actually, you know, everything is actually 
uh, downward every time we come, go there, maybe we are the common denominator. And maybe we are the problem. C.S. Lewis says this, As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on the things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Always looking at people. And you fail to recognize the one above you. Pride thinks that we are above everyone else. Let's be careful of this. The way we treat our people, the way we treat the lowly. You know, how do you treat waiters, for example, you know, in restaurants, you know? Na delay ng konte. You know, I saw a sign uh, in one restaurant, uh, almost like a disclaimer. Uh, please forgive us for not being able to bring your food on time. We're doing our best. These are the only people who reported for work today, something like that. So, you know, there's a backstory why sometimes they get delayed with their, you know, with their, with your orders. And let's be kind. Let's treat them with respect as well. Verse uh, 33, it says, He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers, and his nails were like bird claws. You know, Nebuchadnezzar literally became like an animal. Literally. He was turned. His, his mind from being a human mind, mind of reason, to that of a beast. And it was the ultimate humiliation. How many of you know that? To become like an animal. I mean, God could have done anything to Nebuchadnezzar. He could have put Nebuchadnezzar to sleep for seven years, like Sleeping Beauty. He could have actually uh, allowed him to be blind for seven years, like the Arameans. Or maybe, uh, you know, make him a leper for seven years. Or maybe uh, make him mute, like, uh, you know, Zechariah for seven years, could not speak. But to become a beast, that's the ultimate form of debasement, humiliation. And I believe that this probably is the original Beauty and the Beast. No? Uh, this is probably where Disney took it. You know, but why take away his human mind and be given a mind of a beast? You know, this is a picture of humans with a carnal mind when they are independent of God. We think like an animal already. And we are moved by our appetites. That's carnal man. It is a picture of humans when we don't have God, we're acting like animals. Because animals are dominated by their instinct. They don't have reason. They're dominated by their flesh. They're dominated by their carnality. And a carnal man is dominated by his appetite and he lives to please his appetite. And I don't know about you, maybe some of you are, you know, are dog lovers or cat lovers but apart from God, we, are, we will behave like animals. You know, we used to have dogs, but I guess we got tired of cleaning poops. So we let go of the dogs. And maybe some of you still have dogs, and God bless you. And maybe some of you have cats like my daughter. God bless my daughter, Bea. I mean, you take care of them. When they get sick, you bring them to the hospital, to the dog and cat hospital. You mean you spend money for them, right? Now, for example, this is the cat of my daughter. His name is Marcel. He's a Persian cat. Like Garfield, okay? You know, if you know the story of Garfield in comics, I mean, all he wants is cookies. I mean, that's feed me and we're okay. I mean, you, you may call them fur babies, and that's fine. But at the end of the day, they're still animals. And you can train them, and you can tame them, and they can obey you, and they can actually do some tricks. But the reason why they do tricks is because you feed them, right? You give them treats. You're appealing to their appetites. <laughs> Roll! See, 
than trick. That was the state of Nebuchadnezzar. And that's the state of a human being devoid of the presence of God. Without the Spirit of God in us, we are like animals. We're moved by our appetites. We're moved by this. But as human beings, guess what? We have been given a reason. God has made us in the image of God. With reason. I say, talking about this. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, I'll make them as white as snow. And God has been made in the image. How many of you are grateful that you and I are made in the image of God? Come on now. The person beside you is made in the image of God. You and I did not evolve from monkeys. You did not, we, we did not come from animals. I don't know what the... They're still teaching this in schools, but we are part of the creation of God. This makes us unique of all the creation because we are above the animals. We're made in the image of God. We have a designer. The grand design is amazing. Can you imagine if you're able to pick up a Rolex watch from the rocks and you say, wow, what an amazing rock. I mean, this watch evolved for millions of years. And suddenly, it's talking about perfect time. It has an intricate detail of all the mechanism. It's, wow. Can you imagine? How many of you know that someone designed this Rolex watch? It did not just come from the rocks. And you and I, as a human being, is above a Rolex watch. Come on now. Our designer is awesome. Our designer loved us so much. He gave us his own breath. And it's mine for a reason. And I want to end with this. God restores those who repent of human pride. There's always, there's always a hope and a chance. Seven times will pass for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdom of the heavens and give them to anyone He wishes. Until, ever say until. Until you acknowledge, until you repent, until you represent, until you figure out that it's not about you, it's about God. Nebuchadnezzar finally repents. You know, the antidote to pride is acknowledge his kingship and his lordship, ultimately. That's the antidote to pride. Lordship over your life, lordship over your family, lordship over your finances, lordship over your, your household, your work, your business, lordship over this nation. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and seek my face and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. Our land needs healing. It requires humility from the church for God to move and to heal this land. And I'm going to end right now. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. Finally, he learns his lesson. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of the heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? We cannot tell God what to do. None can stay his hand. It means that no one can stop the hand of God from moving in the affairs of this land and even our human affairs. And the last verse is this. At the same time, second to the last, at the same time, my reason and return to me, and for the glory of my kingdom and my majesty and splendor returned to me, my counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom once again, and still more greatness was added to me. Nebuchadnezzar finally learned his lesson, repented of his sins. When he humbled himself, more greatness was added. But I guess it was short-lived because he had to take on and give the kingdom to his son eventually. Next, next chapter, next week, we'll talk about that. And the very last verse of the chapter is this. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of Heaven, 
Can we all read this last statement? For all His works are right and His ways are just. And those who walk in pride, He is able to humble. You know, this is truth coming from the lips of a pagan king. All His works are right and His ways are just. Maybe some of us are having a difficult time accepting this truth and reality. How can God's work be right? Maybe you have just a situation in your life right now that is hurtful. You've gone through a tragic situation in your life. And looking at this verse, His ways, His works are right. His ways are just. I just lost a child. I lost my mom. I went through this. I'm now going through a situation with the court. I am in poor health. I have cancer. I mean, how can God's works be right? Maybe we are questioning about the justice of God. How can His ways be just? We're talking about the recent election. Maybe some of you, I don't know which side you're on. Can, can God be just? His works are right. His ways are just. Maybe some of us are condemned. Maybe the reason why we're coming before God is, Lord, I've gone through some things that are bad and wrong. People have wronged me. Is it your judgment on me? Maybe not. But maybe it's a hand of mercy reminding you to come to Him and say, God, without you, I am nothing. I need you. And my life and my soul depends on you. Sometimes you see things from a different perspective of God, see how God sees it. We may think that we are victims of injustice or wrongdoings by people, even of God Himself. Sometimes we say, God, you are unjust. You are unrighteous in your ways. Really? From God's perspective, maybe it's a different view. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. In fact, He loves you more than you love yourself. He loves you more than you love yourself. He loves your family more than you love your kids. He cares about you more than you care for anyone else in this world. He cares about this nation more than we care about this nation. Amen. His works are right. His ways are just. I want to end there. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Feel free to share this message with your friends too. For more information about our church, visit our website at www.victoryalabang.church.